Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. I really feel compelled as an American to address the spectacle that is playing out before my eyes in the national media surrounding the events that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, and in particular, President Trump's reaction to those events or the way the media wants to portray his reaction to those events and use it in a way to paint the president as a racist as a defender of uh, Nazis and the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacists. And none of this is is factual. I mean, I don't know if you were able to watch the entire press conference yesterday from President Trump in the lobby of Trump Tower, where it really wasn't a press conference. It was almost like an inquisition. I mean, the members of the press were not really there to question the president. They were there to entrap the president. They were there to further an agenda to try to mischaracterize the president and those people who support him. And I know it's obvious that very few members of the press respect Donald Trump. That's clear. But they need to respect the presidency. They need to respect the office that he holds. You know, could you imagine members of the press treating President Obama, the way they're treating President Trump? Could you imagine the cries of racism that would be there? Of course, no member of the press would dare show that type of disrespect 
to uh, to President Obama, but they have no problem uh, displaying that type of disrespect to President Trump. And you know, I know a lot of people think, oh, Peter, you know, just you know, you should stick to uh, economics or stick to the markets. Don't venture into politics. And you know, I-, I speak about everything. But if you're one of those people that doesn't like it when I talk politics, then don't listen to the rest of this podcast. Just wait for my next podcast, and you know, you'll get one on economics or on the markets. But Again, you know, I really want to set the record straight and I want to defend the president because a lot of people say, oh, Peter, you know, you always attack President Trump and I attack him. I criticize him when I think he's doing something wrong. Like when he did the press conference yesterday, there was no reason for him to interject comments about how we have a booming economy, about how he's created a million jobs, about how the stock market is hitting new record highs, right? All of this is counterproductive and not true. I mean, yes, it's true the stock market is hitting record highs, but it was hitting record highs under Obama. And the president said, so what? It's a bubble. Well, it's still a bubble. So don't brag about the stock market. Don't brag about creating a million jobs when President Obama also created more than a million jobs last year during the same months that he's bragging about. It's the same low-paying, crappy jobs that the president correctly labeled low-paying, crappy jobs when he was a candidate for president. And now that he is president, he's claiming credit for those jobs as if those low-paying, crappy jobs are actually good. And don't say the economy is booming. It's the same as it was under Obama. right? So he didn't have to go there. And I will continue to criticize the president for claiming victory for battles he has not won and for basically taking the bait because he's now going to be the fall guy when the economy implodes and the market tanks. I mean, you know, this is something that this is a big mistake. He is not being well advised to try to promote. And I know he's a promoter, right? Donald Trump uh, in the free market, it's all about branding and about promotion. And it's about working with what you've got. So he is trying to spin things as being positive now that he's president. So he wants to use these statistics to market his presidency and his success. But he should resist that temptation because it makes him a hypocrite. But where he's not a hypocrite and where he refuses to be a hypocrite is in describing the events that took place in Charlottesville. And that's where the press is being hypocritical because all of the furor has to do with the fact that the left is saying that President Trump has not denounced the fascists or the racists, or the uh, white supremacists, or the neo-Nazis, or whoever it was uh, that was part of this, uh, you know, protest, that he hasn't denounced them enough. What the president said was that he was condemning the violence on both sides, and that angered the left. Why are you condemning violence on both sides? You should only condemn violence on one side. But that would be hypocritical. If you're going to condemn violence, then you have to condemn it in totality. You can't just say, well, it's okay for a certain group to be violent because we don't find their political beliefs as offensive as this other group who is even more offensive and therefore they can't be violent. You can't make those moral judgments. Either you're against it or you're not. And Donald Trump is rightly blaming both sides for the violence and for the deaths that occurred in in Charlottesville. But the media wants to give Black Lives Matter, and they want to give Antifa, they want to give these thugs a pass, and they want to blame it all on the thugs that were there 
to protest, not to counter protesters. And to give everybody a little background on actually what was going on there. So there is a park that used to be named uh, Robert E. Lee Park after the Civil War general. And they changed the name of the park. And so the next thing they were going to do is they were going to tear down the statue that had been erected uh, in, in his memory in that park. And so there were people that wanted to protest uh, the fact that this statue was coming down. I mean, it was coming down no matter what. I mean, the protesters weren't going to change that decision, but they were just going to protest the fact that it was happening. And they actually got a permit. Initially, the, the state denied their permit. They said, you can't, you can't uh, have this protest. And they petitioned the court. And the court said, no, no, they've got a right to free speech and freedom of assembly. And so you can't deny them a permit. And so they got the permit over the objection of local authorities. And they were there to have a legal protest to exercise their First Amendment rights. You know, this is the, the problem with the First Amendment. If you believe in freedom of speech, which I do, then you have to defend the rights of people to say things that you don't believe in, even to say things that you find offensive. And it's not because you're defending the people who are making those speeches. If Donald Trump is going to defend the right of a Nazi sympathizer uh, to espouse his views in a public forum, that doesn't mean he's supporting those views. That doesn't mean he's supporting the person who is espousing them, he is supporting the principle of free speech. Also, I need to comment about the perpetrator, this James Alex Fields, who was a 20-year-old man who drove the car that killed the 31-year-old woman who was protesting the protest. Uh, this is the individual. He drove his car into the crowd. Uh, many, many people were injured, uh, but one person uh critically to the point that she died. I don't know if any of the other people are in danger of ultimately dying as a result of the injuries that were sustained. But you now have a movement. And here, unfortunately, I think even Trump has bowed down to this pressure to investigate this on a federal level as if this is an act of terrorism and to somehow to evoke uh, you know, federal power and bring that to bear and turn this into a federal case rather than a local case. And I completely disagree with that. I do not think that this is an act of terrorism. Um, maybe it's a hate crime, maybe not. I don't even agree with the fact that there should be a differentiation in uh, crimes because of the presence of hate. I mean, obviously, if somebody commits crimes against somebody, it's not because they really love that individual. I mean, if someone comes and beats the crap out of me, um, I really don't care if they're doing it because I'm Jewish or because I'm white, or just because they don't like me. I just don't want somebody to beat the crap out of me. And clearly, they don't like me very much, or they wouldn't be doing it. But I don't really want the government to try to get into the mind of a criminal to try to determine what was the basis for the attack. I just want them punishing the attack. I don't want them discriminating based on, well, if he, if he beat me up because I'm Jewish, that's worse than he beat me up just because he doesn't like the shirt that I'm wearing. Right? I mean, it, to me, it doesn't matter why I got beat up. I, you know, and I, I don't like that because then when you give the government the power to try to prosecute you for your thoughts, you see, not liking somebody is not a crime, right? If somebody doesn't like Jews, that's, you know, that's, that's their right. I don't have, nobody, I, I'm not guaranteed to be liked. And people have a right to hate me. They don't have a right to beat me up, but they do have a right to hate me. 
But I don't want the government trying to go into somebody's mind and make your thoughts a crime. It's your actions that are a crime, not your thoughts, right? So I would rather somebody hate me in silence than beat me up and not hate me, right? So I want actions to be punished, not thoughts. And when you let the government punish you for thought, then again, you're opening up a very bad can of worms that's better left closed. I mean, now you're talking about an Orwellian society where you have thought police. And I don't want to have thought police. I want my life, my liberty, and my property protected, and I want my thoughts protected. And so we shouldn't even have these hate crimes. But as far as an act of terrorism, James Alex Fields is not a terrorist. I mean, he may be a criminal, he may be a murderer, but he's not a terrorist. Don't get the federal government involved. Don't let the federal government define anything it wants to be terrorism. Because once the federal government labels it terrorism, you know, then there's a lot of things that can be done. Right. I mean, you, you know, we don't want the government to be able to slap the terrorist label on anybody. First of all, it demeans what real terrorists are. But now it gives the federal government more power to define down what a terrorist is so it can define anybody. A tax protester becomes a terrorist. So he is not a terrorist. He may be a murderer. Right. I mean, I mean, we know the person that he hit with a car died. So he killed her. Whether or not it's murder, that's up to a local jury to decide. Right. And of course, there are various degrees of murder, right? Is it first degree murder? Is it second degree murder? I mean, and these are facts that have to come out of the jury. It's got nothing to do with terrorism. What has to happen is, did this individual, did he wake up in the morning? Did he drive down to this event planning on killing somebody? Was that his goal? Or did he just get there and just in a moment of, of you know, a bad lapse of judgment, he just decided to drive the car into a crowd, you know, on the spur of the moment. That's a little bit different than than contemplating it and actually driving down to the protest, driving the whole way, knowing you're going to kill somebody. Maybe he went there just to participate. And then at the last minute, he did, made this horrible decision that the law will make a distinction between the two as to, you know, what, you know, what type of, of murder it is. Also, when he drove into that crowd. Did he deliberately intend to kill somebody or did he just want to scare people? Did he just want to injure people? I don't know. These are facts that have to come out uh, in front of a jury. And, you know, that, that's why we have trial by jury. That's why we just don't, you know, convict him without a jury, because there are a lot of things that nobody knows. Right. You have a mob. Obviously, I'm not defending what he did, but I don't have all the facts. I don't know. Is it first degree murder? Is it second degree murder? Is it manslaughter? What is it? Right. A jury will decide. But what I can tell is that he's not a terrorist. He's not part of a terrorist organization. He is, at most, a murderer. And murder is a local crime. It is not a federal crime. We do not want the federal government getting involved. But there's all this political pressure that, well, if Donald Trump doesn't um, consider him a terrorist and prosecute him as a terrorist, then he's a white supremacist himself. Therefore, he defends uh, what the the Nazis and the skinheads and the, you know, the, the, the Klansmen what they were saying. And so to prove that he condemns those thoughts or, or those individuals, then he needs to label uh, this James Alex Fields as a terrorist and bring all the power of the federal government to bear to prosecute him as a terrorist and potentially to have him executed uh, as a terrorist because it is a death penalty, right, for, for terrorism. We don't want to do that. That is giving into the mob mentality. And I, and I, I wish we would just stand up and say, no, this is a, 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 an act of murder. You know, murder is a terrible crime. Murders happen every day in America, unfortunately. I mean, obviously, this one murder is getting far more attention 
than all the other murders that are going on every day in the United States. But this particular murderer, if he in fact is a murderer, you know, is, is no worse than any of the other murderers. And he deserves no more or no less justice, the same amount of justice as everybody else. And he's not a terrorist because he ran over somebody with his car. He's a murderer, right? Not all murderers are terrorists. Maybe all terrorists are murderers. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some terrorists who haven't murdered people yet. But we have to stand up for that. And this, again, is this political correctness. Where is this going to stop, right? If we can label him a terrorist for an act of murder, a 20-year-old kid drives his car, uh, kills someone with his car. And also, too, this is on a different note. Why aren't we talking about banning cars? Right. I mean, because if he had shot somebody with a gun, it would have been, oh, you know, we need we have to ban guns. This is why we have to get rid of guns, because this individual shot somebody with a gun. Right. If he had come in there with a gun and he shot this woman with a gun. Right. You'd have all these anti uh, Second Amendment people. We got to ban guns. This is what's telling you, you know, guns are dangerous. So he kills people with a car. Why are we saying ban cars? Cars are deadly weapons. Right. I mean, anybody with a car can run into anybody anytime they want. People are riding cars all over the cities, all, you know, all over the highways. I mean, you could just run into anybody. You could just plow into, you know, uh, big uh, crowds of people. You can kill lots of people with cars. Right. Cars are not the problem. It's the people driving the cars. It's the people who are using the cars uh, in a way that kills people. That's the problem. The same thing with guns. Guns are not the problem. In many cases, guns are the solution to the problem. Guns stop crimes. Guns are the great equalizers. You know, you got all these feminists out there. You know, how else is a woman going to fend off a a, a male attacker? You got a 200-pound guy that's attacking a 120-pound woman. You know, what is the only way that she's going to be able to defend herself? If she's armed, if she's got a gun, then she has a chance. If she's unarmed, well, then she's at the mercy of the bigger, stronger man. So guns can be used for good or they can be used for evil. It just depends on the person who has the gun. The same thing for cars. You can use cars for good, for transportation. You can use cars as an ambulance to get people to the hospital, right, quicker so that they can, their lives can be saved. Or you can use a car as a weapon, like James Field, by driving a car into a crowded people and killing somebody. But it's the same principle. We're not going to ban cars just because you can use a car to kill somebody, just like we're not going to ban guns because you can use a gun to kill somebody. And when I defend the right of a Nazi sympathizer to speak openly about how he wants to glorify uh, the memory of Nazis or Adolf Hitler, do I find that offensive? Of course it's offensive. And I'm, I'm Jewish, in case you don't know that, but even if I wasn't Jewish, I would be offended by that type of rhetoric. I mean, look, first of all, it's stupid for people to ignore history and to glorify somebody as evil as Adolf Hitler. But look, you know, people glorify all sorts of things. I mean, look at look look at all the, the communist leaders that are glorified by people. You know, a swastika is supposedly very offensive, and I understand that, but so is a hammer and sickle. I mean, there are a lot of people that are offended by a swastika that, you know, will wear a T-shirt with a hammer and sickle on it. I mean, why aren't they offended by Stalin? I mean, he killed more people than Hitler. I mean, not that I'm saying he was worse than Hitler, but he's certainly a pretty bad dude. And he's certainly associated with that hammer and sickle. So why is it okay, uh, you know, to wear the hammer and sickle, but, but not a swastika? I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the idea that 
the the Nazis represent some kind of you know extreme right, and okay, the communists are like the extreme left, and so since the right is bad and the left is good, then extreme left you know can't be extremely bad. It must be good. It's the extreme right that's really bad because being on the right, being a conservative, that's bad. And so being an extreme right, that must be really bad, right? And so that's why uh, they like to put to put that on the right. Now, obviously, you know, you could say that, well, one of the reasons that uh, there is these connotations with the, the swastika is that in World War II, we fought, we fought against Nazi Germany, right? Communist... Um, Russia, Soviet Union, they were our allies. So we were aligned with the hammer and sickle and the enemy was the swastika. But I think it's a lot deeper than that. I mean, I think it really has to do with trying to label people on the right as as being uh, Nazis when when they're not. I mean, if you understand what Nazis are, right? Nazis are fascist, right? And fascism started in, in Italy under Mussolini, and it spread to Germany under Adolf Hitler. But the original fascists were Italians. And under Italian fascism, there was no racism. There was nationalism, right? But it didn't matter whether you were white, whether you were black, what, what your religion was. As long as you were Italian, you were good, right? It was all about Italy for Italy, right? It didn't matter, you know, what your race or creed was. You just had to be Italian. It was only under Germany, Hitler, that it wasn't just nationalism. It was about not just being German, but being Aryan. So you couldn't just be a German. You had to be white, right? You had to be Christian. And so if you weren't all these things, if you weren't a member of the Aryan race and German, you know, so, but but that aspect of fascism is unique to Nazism, right? All Nazis were fascists, but not all fascists are Nazis. But the, the idea that fascism is the opposite of communism is not true. It's a creation of the left. They are not opposites. They are on the same side of the political spectrum. Both fascism, of which Nazism is a part, but both fascism and communism are forms of socialism. Again, fascism is national socialism. That is the name of the party. And now people think, well, you know, the fascists and the socialists, they're fighting each other because they're opposite. They're not fighting because they're opposites. They're like two gang members fighting over who's going to rule the same turf. They don't fight because they have differences. They fight because they have so much in common. They just have a small difference. See, if you believe in freedom, right, if you believe in limited government, you're, lim- you know, you're, you're on the far right. You don't care what's going on on the far left. But when, you're, when you have communists and fascists both trying to dominate that side of the spectrum, then they're going to fight each other. But for people who don't know what, what really differentiates fascism, from communism is under communism, the government outright nationalizes the means of production, takes over everything, right? The government owns and operates all the means of production. Under fascism, the government just controls it with progressive taxation and lots of regulation. So if you really want to know, modern America is very fascist. If you want to know the truth, I mean, Bernie Sanders, when he says, oh, I'm, I'm espousing socialism, the type of socialism he's really in favor of is fascism, not fascism, you know, Adolf Hitler style, but Mussolini style. That's really what the left is advocating. But they want to try to pin the right with this label because they want to try to vilify it. Now, you also have a lot of Republican cowards that are walking away from the president, trying to distance themselves from the president because of his supposed racist remarks, when, of course, the president 
hasn't made any racist remarks, and they're basically just bowing down to this narrative. They're afraid to stand up on principle because they're afraid of being labeled a racist uh, politically in an election because they didn't you know, distance themselves from the supposed racist comments made by the president simply because he refuses to give uh, the violence on the left a pass. He, for, he, you know, he doesn't want to say that it's OK to commit violence as long as the victims of your violence are white supremacists. What Donald Trump is saying is, no, I'm condemning violence on both sides. Yes, I condemn the white uh, supremacists, but I also condemn those people that specifically came uh, to uh, that protest for the purpose of committing violent acts. And you can't justify it based on the fact that you believe that the people that you're uh, committing violence on are deserving of the violence because they have a view that you find reprehensible. You know, the media is also trying to create or fan the flames that that Trump is a a racist, that Trump is uh, anti-Semite by bringing up David Duke, right? David Duke, former congressman, former Klansman, right, Uh, who has been pretty much denounced by everybody, including Donald Trump, apparently put out a tweet or something where he thanked the president for speaking the truth. And, of course, the media decides to cover this. Why? I mean, I look at, he doesn't even have 50,000 Twitter followers. I mean, I've got twice as many Twitter followers as David Duke. Nobody is even paying attention to David Duke. Nobody would even know what David Duke said if it wasn't for the media elevating his comments. I mean, the reason the media is even paying attention to David Duke which is doing a disservice, if they really don't like what David Duke stands for, then don't give him any media attention. But the media is using this to advance its agenda because they want to create this guilt by association, meaning that since David Duke likes what Donald Trump says, and since David Duke is a racist, well, then Donald Trump must also be a racist because he's getting support from another racist. That is false logic. It doesn't matter. Just because David Duke approves of what Donald Trump is saying, it doesn't mean that Donald Trump necessarily approves of anything that David Duke has said. And the the, the media knows this, but they just want to drum up this false narrative. They just want to play up the fact that David Duke liked something that Trump has said, and now what Trump has said must be bad because, after all, David Duke is bad. I mean, what, what if Donald Trump said the earth... Uh, orbits the sun. And David Duke says, well, I agree with that. Well, does that mean it's wrong? Just because David Duke happens to agree with a statement that's obviously true? You know, so it doesn't matter what David Duke says. Who cares what he has to say? He is being used by the left, by the media, to try to unfairly paint Donald Trump with a racist brush just by guilt by association. And you should see through this. This is such a thinly veiled disguise, this whole agenda to try to take down the president by trying to paint him as a racist and act as if we didn't have these groups, these white supremacist groups, as if they didn't even exist until Trump was elected. They have been here for a long time. The Ku Klux Klan has been here for a long time, right? It started after the Civil War. They didn't just, you know, don their their hoods uh, because Donald Trump was president. So this has been going on. It went on under Barack Obama. I mean, there were a lot of things that Barack Obama did to incite racism, right? I mean, so, 
you know, but of course he gets a pass, right? Oh, no, he didn't do anything wrong. And all the criticism is on Donald Trump. Yet all of the Republicans are running away from him because they are afraid. They don't want to stand up for this because they understand how easy it is for the left to try to vilify people. And the same thing, I think, with these CEOs of these companies, you know, they they want to distance themselves from comments that are being spun as if they were racist. And none of it is racist. Now, you could say maybe Donald Trump is a bad politician, right? Maybe he should just realize and just, you know, bow down and just, you know, get, you know, just march to the same beat as everybody else. Just get in line and just forget about all the violence and just condemn uh, what the protesters have been doing and forgive everything that the anti-protesters did and just, you know, follow along. But he refuses to conform. He refuses in this instance he refuses to sacrifice his principles when he knows right from wrong. I mean, he saw what happened. He knows what was going on. And he refuses uh, to bow to political correctness and to advance this agenda. He's standing up for what he believes to be the truth, regardless of the political consequences. I just wish the president did the same thing when it comes to the economy. Now, you know, maybe he actually believes that things are getting better. Maybe he's just listening to his advisors. Uh, I don't know. But on this issue, he has taken the moral high ground, even though everybody else wants to accuse him of taking the low ground. But that gets me back down to this point where you get to freedom of speech. And when you want to defend freedom of speech, because we, you know, we don't have that much left in this country. We've lost a lot of our rights. One of the few rights that hasn't been taken away from us is freedom of speech. Why do we want to sacrifice that too just because a few idiots want to say things that we think are offensive? You know, and here's the point. Again, I am not defending, neither is President Trump defending the white supremacists or anything they're saying. What they're saying is is undefensible. But that's not the point. The point is, if you don't defend speech that you find offensive, somebody else is going to find your speech offensive and you're going to lose the right to talk. See, I'm, I'm supporting myself when I am defending the rights of a white supremacist to say what he wants. I don't give a damn about the white supremacist. I care about myself. I know if I am going to use the power of government to shut him up, then in the future, somebody else is going to use the power of government to shut me up. Because believe me, there are a lot of people that find what I have to say offensive. I know that. I mean, but there are a lot of people, you know, you start increasing the definition. Once you give the government the ability to say, okay, we're going to ban free speech if it's a Nazi. And of course, nobody's a Nazi, right? The Nazis aren't here. You can be a Nazi sympathizer. But if we want to say, look, nobody can speak positively about the Nazis, then what's next? Right? That's the camel's nose under the tent. And of course, they can keep expanding the definition of what a Nazi is. They can make it so broad that all libertarians become Nazis in the eyes of the government if they want to ban them from speaking. So you have to defend free speech. And that's really what the president is doing. He is not caving in to political correctness. He is condemning what um, these protesters were saying. But he's also pointing out that not all the people who were there at this protest were uh, white supremacists, Nazi sympathizers, Ku Klux Klan members. I mean, there were people there that don't have any of these thoughts, but just were upset that this statue was going to be taken down. And they believed it should, it should be allowed to stand as a monument 
uh, to history, as a monument to the South, to the Confederacy. Now, I know in the eyes of some people, the Confederacy is all about slavery, and that's all it's about. And somehow to have a statue of Robert E. Lee somehow is honoring slavery. And to a lot of people, that's not what that statue represents. But the city decided they wanted to take it down. Fine, they have the right to take it down. People have a right to be upset that they're taking it down. And they have a right to express that they're upset. You know, what you don't have a right to do is go over there with a club and beat people on the head. You don't have a right to punch somebody in the mouth because they're saying something you don't like. Because that's what happened. Because you had these Antifada, you had these Black Lives Matters people that came there specifically in search, in search of a violent confrontation. They didn't have to be there. They could have allowed these protesters to protest in utter silence. I mean, the only reason that this is a national story is because these left-wing groups came there to uh, incite a violent confrontation. If they had just ignored it, right, if they had not done anything about it, it would have just passed in obscurity. Nobody would have known about it. I mean, so why even call attention to it, right? If you think what they're saying is so bad, why, you know, why shine a spotlight? It's because I believe that they wanted the violence. They wanted to try to paint the country as racist. They wanted all this to happen. I mean, the police, you have the mayor of Charlottesville blame this on Donald Trump. He actually said that it was Trump's fault. What about his own fault? I mean, he's in charge of the police department. They could have prevented this. They could have done a better job. They could have, you know, the, the, these anti-protesters, they didn't have permits. Hey, you guys can't be here. You don't have a permit. They could have done a better job of separating the sides, but they didn't because I think they wanted the violence. This, is, this serves their narrative. This is exactly what they want to do. And the president is having none of it. He's at least standing up for, for the truth. Now, how is it possible that this is Trump's fault? The, the, the mayor was saying that, well, it's because he ran this racist campaign and you know he was supported by all these white racists and white supremacists. That's not why Trump was elected. You know, Donald Trump got a smaller percentage of the white vote than Mitt Romney. You know what elected Donald Trump? Blacks, Hispanics, Asians. He did better among minorities than uh, Mitt Romney. That's what put him over the top in some of these swing states. He's not a racist. But of course, they want to label him a racist. This furthers their agenda. And, and so this, this was a perfect opportunity uh, for them to try to put the president in this corner and to create this kind of publicity. Now, of course, the president also rightfully tried to talk about the underlying issue of that statue of Robert E. Lee. Because, you know, first of all, a lot of people want to say, well, why should we have the statue of this traitor in a park? Yes, Robert E. Lee was a traitor the same way that George Washington was a traitor, right? In fact, everybody, we were founded. All the founding fathers were traitors. Don't believe me, right? Ask King George, although he's not around. But obviously, King George did not regard the founding fathers as patriots. They were all traitors, and they all would have hung had America lost the war. We were all British subjects. King George was our king. And in fact, well, that was a famous quote by um, Benjamin Franklin. If we do not hang together, we will surely hang separately, right? Because he knew when he put his John Hancock on the Declaration of Independence that he was now a traitor and that if the war was lost, he was going to be hung for treason, right? So we were fighting for independence that made us traitors in the eyes of the king. Now, we're, 
they're not traitors because we won the war. And so now they're the, you know, they, they were the leaders of a fight for independence. But the same thing is true of the South, of the Confederacy. They're only traitors now because the South lost. But when the war began, they were fighting for their independence, just like America was fighting for its independence against the British. The South was fighting for its independence against the North. I mean, it really wasn't a civil war in the sense that both sides were fighting to control the same country. The South didn't want to control the Union. They just wanted to leave. And Lincoln said, no, you can't go. You're stuck. And so the war, whether or not you want to say it was fought predominantly over slavery or other reasons, the war was about independence. The South was fighting for their independence. And so Southern generals did not regard themselves as traitors any more than George Washington thought he was a traitor. They thought they were being patriots to their cause. And you have to know this. Most people don't understand this. But before the Civil War, people did not look at themselves as Americans. I mean, they were Americans second. But your primary allegiance was to your state. I'm a Virginian. Right? I'm a New Yorker. I'm from Massachusetts. I'm from South Carolina. That's what people thought. In fact, you know, if you were traveling abroad and someone said, where are you from? Right? You, know, you, you mentioned your state. That's where you were from. Not the United States. In fact, you know, it used to be the United States are. Now it's the United States is. Why? Because the United States were a collection of sovereign nation states. We had a common central government, but we were independent nations, nation states. That was the whole concept. And in fact, if you go back to the Constitutional Convention, originally the founding fathers considered a provision in the Constitution that would give the federal government the power to suppress secession, to actually make it so a state couldn't leave, to forcibly keep the union together. And they rejected that. And they rejected it because they said, that's not right. They said, you cannot force the states to stay in the union. It has to be a voluntary association. If You have to be able to leave. And in fact, had that provision been there, the Constitution never would have been ratified. The states wouldn't have agreed to become part of a union that they couldn't get out of. And, you know, the first secessionist movement actually took place earlier in that century. And it was the North. Northern states wanted to secede because Thomas Jefferson did the Louisiana uh, purchase and they thought it was unconstitutional. And there was a movement for northern states to secede. Now, they didn't do it, but they were thinking about doing it. And, of course, so the same thing happened in the Civil War. You had the South that actually followed through with what some of the northern states had been thinking about uh, decades earlier. And then Lincoln said, no, you can't. We're going to, you know, we're going to preserve this union at any cost and we're going to have this war. So the, the fact that those statues are there has to do with a pride of Southern history. It has to do with the recognizing the cause that these individuals died for. And a lot of people died in the Civil War. They were all Americans. You know, there were blacks. There were black Southerners who fought voluntarily, fought on the side of the Confederacy. Right? I mean, you know, most of the people fighting on the North were drafted. You had some blacks volunteering to fight for their states against an aggressive North. So a lot of people died in the Civil War. And a lot of these statues are simply going to honor that sacrifice. It's not about honoring slavery. It's about honoring a lot of other things. Now, I understand in some people's minds, all they can see is the slavery. But again, you know, that doesn't give you the right 
to go and punch somebody in the mouth because you disagree with what they say or because they happen to like uh, a statue that's going to be torn down anyway. I mean, the, the left should figure, hey, it's a victory. We got the we got that statue torn down. Are we really going to be so upset that some people want to get together and protest the fact that it's going to be torn down? Because they've already won the argument. The statue's going. Right? But it's not just about, oh, these are these are bad people, these these are traitors. I mean, why would you know the Civil War, I unfortunately was a mistake. We shouldn't have fought that war. Now, does that mean I'm pro-slavery? Of course not. How can anybody be pro-slavery? Certainly today, nobody's gonna be pro-slavery. But I think that that's, that Civil War was a mistake. I mean, not only because so many people died. I mean, more Americans died in the Civil War than all the other wars combined. But the cost was enormous as far as the uh, destruction of property. I mean, the country was set back. And, but not only, I mean, think about the loss of property, but think about all the people who died, what they may have contributed to our society had they lived. And what about the children that they never had? I mean, all these things could have happened. Now, does that mean I'm pro-slavery? Of course not. If the North and South would have separated into two nations, the South wouldn't have slaves today. You know, I think there's some television show that's supposed to come on, uh, you know, Netflix or something that's an alternative view of history where the South won the war and apparently there's still slavery. That is nonsense. Slavery would have died out in the Confederacy. Probably not in 1865, but probably it wouldn't have survived the century. Probably 20 or 30 years later, slavery would have ended in the Confederacy, just like it ended everywhere else. You know, slavery was you know going all over the world. That was a trend. That trend was in motion, and it was going to stay in motion. So it would have gone away eventually. But And maybe the two countries, you know, if we still had the United States of America and the Confederate States of America, maybe we'd have a lot more individual liberty now for both blacks and whites. What do we get from the Civil War? We got the income tax. We got paper money. I mean, both these things went away after the war, but they came back and they had their basis, their legal basis in the wartime taxes. So if you love the Civil War, you got to love the income tax because that's the reason we have the income tax. And maybe states would still have the ability to leave. You know, there are a lot of states now that are talking about secession. Ain't going to happen. Lincoln set that precedent. The Civil War basically said, this is, you know, the Roach Motel. A state can check in, but it can't check out. I think we would be stronger if we, it was a voluntary association, if the federal government knew that a state could leave, that it wasn't just stuck here. And then it might respect, you know, property and liberty and the Constitution more. But once they know that nobody can leave, uh, then you don't have to, uh, you know, honor uh, your constitutional responsibilities as much. But Trump also spoke about, hey, if we're if we're going to be tearing down all these statues of these Civil War generals, hey, what about Thomas Jefferson? What about George Washington? Are we going to start tearing down those monuments too? And he's correct because if you just cave in to the left and just accept every that they want to do. You know, there is a movement right now to tear down statues of Thomas Jefferson because he owned slaves. I mean, look, a lot of people, a lot of good people owned slaves back then. In fact, Thomas Jefferson was very openly, vocally anti-slavery. Even though he owned slaves, he was against the institution. Now, you might think, well, does that make him a hypocrite? Well, you have to understand the times in which he was living. I mean, slavery, first of all, slavery had existed for thousands of years. It didn't start in the United States, and blacks weren't the first slaves, right? Where does the word slave come from? It comes from Slav, right? 
So the blacks weren't in, you know, enslaved probably thousands of years after they had the first slaves. They, you know, they enslaved Africans. But and then and there was slavery in Africa. There were plenty of tribes that enslaved other tribes in Africa. So it wasn't just white people that owned slaves. There were plenty of black people that owned slaves, including in the United States. There were some black slave owners in the United States. But Thomas Jefferson was very anti-slavery. In fact, Thomas Jefferson wanted to get rid of slavery, even in the Declaration of Independence, way back then when he wrote that. But he couldn't do that because the, the, the South and the Southern states wouldn't have signed on to it. In fact, there were plenty of people in the Constitution that didn't want slavery, but they had to because this, they would have lost the South. So they had to swallow their principles for something that they believed in more, a battle that they were more interested in fighting at that time. And yes, it would have been much better had they created a, the United States from the beginning, banned slavery, and just not had the cooperation of the South. Maybe it would have been better if we just started out with two countries from the beginning, one slave and, and, and one free. And eventually, uh, slavery would have died out, and maybe the two countries would have come together, or, or maybe it would just be like American Canada. I don't know. But Trump's point about that slippery slope, about the camel's nose under the tent, is correct. Now, of course, now that means everybody wants to say, oh, Donald Trump is saying that George Washington is the same as Robert E. Lee. That's not what he's saying. That's not the point he's trying to make. Just like when he is refusing to only condemn the, uh, the white supremacists and not give a past to the Black Lives Matters and the Antifa, right? When he says there was violence on both sides, there was wrong on both sides, that does not mean that he is supporting the, the neo-Nazis or the Klansmen or the, the white supremacists. He's not doing that. He's just not giving the other side a pass. He's not supporting the violence committed by the Black Lives Matter people, by people who came there specifically to incite violence. They came there to pick a fight. Now, I'm, again, I'm not saying that there weren't some of the neo-Nazis there that welcomed the fight. There's, there's thugs on both sides of this, right? And it's not the president's fault. And it's the president's responsibility to call out everybody, not to advance a leftist agenda and play into the, the, the propaganda effort of the left to try to paint the right. And again, this is not just about, oh, these are a few people. The left wants to portray everybody. I mean, everybody who voted for Donald Trump is a fascist. They're all white supremacists, right? This is how uh, the left looks at things. And he is not going to fall for that. He is not going to help the left advance that agenda. He is not going to bow down to, you know, on the altar of political correctness now. I mean, he didn't do it as a candidate. Why should he do it as a president? But what's more profound, what every American has to ask themselves is, do I believe in free speech? Do I believe in free association? That's what needs to be defended. What doesn't need to be defended is violence used to put down somebody's free speech. That, in fact, is actually more apprehensible, right? As bad as whatever some of these right supremacists might have been saying on that protest, had the Black Lives Matters guys and had the Antifa guys, had they not come there, A, nobody would have heard it except for the few people that happened to turn out. But however bad it is, it's worse. What these anti-protesters did is worse. Now, look, if if let's say I'm a, I'm a guy and I have a Ku Klux Klan um, you know, outfit on. If I run up to some black guy on the street and just get in his face 
and start saying all kinds of racist, hateful things right in this guy's face. If the guy punches me in the mouth, do I have it coming? Yeah, probably. I mean, is it right? Should the guy punch me because I got in his face and said racist things? Probably shouldn't punch me, but I shouldn't have gotten his face. And, you know, if I was a juror and let's say some Klansman ran up to some black guy in the street and 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 said enough offensive, hateful things to his face that he ended up getting punched. And I was on a jury. I would probably acquit the black guy and say, you know what? He was provoked. I'm going to excuse it. You know, the guy got what was coming to him. He, you know, he, he shouldn't have been in his face. Right. There's a difference between that and a guy that wants to put on a Ku Klux Klan, uh, you know, outfit. And he just wants to peacefully protest in front of a statue somewhere. And now a black guy comes, you know, not only running across the street, but maybe gets in an airplane, you know, and flies to where the protest is to come and punch the guy in the mouth. That's a very different story. That guy is going to jail, right? I'm not going to give that guy a pass because, oh, it was in the heat of the moment. The guy got in his face and he said all these terrible things. No, this guy, this is, this, this guy had a chance to contemplate that violence. He didn't even hear what the guy had to say. He just wanted to be there to punch him in the mouth because he knew what he was going to say in advance. So this is premeditated, uh, you know, mouth mouth punching, right? These guys that were there that brought the clubs or whatever, the sprays that they had, they were there to do violence. They weren't reacting to what was being said. They had already decided what they were going to do before anything was said. So that is really what needs to be condemned. And the fact that media wants to give them a pass, want to act like they did nothing wrong, like the only wrongdoing was the protesters because they happened to espouse an ideology that the left doesn't like, which is um, associated with being on the far right. But they don't care about the socialist, communist theories that are being espoused by the people that were there to commit the violence. And, you know, think about all the crazy, stupid things that people want to espouse. Look, let's say there was a bunch of protesters, black protesters, that are protesting for reparations, right? They Reparations for slavery. This is a big movement that's been going on for a long time. There are a lot of black Americans who believe that they're owed reparations, that white people should be taxed and their property and their money should be given to blacks because blacks were slaves a couple hundred years ago. And somehow this is justice. Now, this is very offensive to me, that prop, my property should be stolen. I mean, first of all, I mean, the whole concept of ridic- is ridiculous anyway, if you really want to bother to think about it, which, you know, even gives it more justice than the topic deserves. My grandparents, all four of my grandparents came here well after slavery ended. So I, my family had no part in, in slavery, right? In fact, I'm Jewish. So if you want to go back far enough at some point in time, you know, my relatives were likely slaves somewhere too, my ancestors, but my family didn't own any slaves in America. Yet somehow I'm supposed to pay reparations. Why? What did I? What do I got to to, to 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 atone for? As far as that's concerned. Now, of course, there are a lot of people who are black, whose ancestors were not slaves. I mean, a there were plenty of free, free blacks, right? There were blacks who weren't slaves. So there are, are descendants of those blacks. There are blacks who own slaves. There are blacks today that could be descendants of slave owning blacks. And of course, there's plenty of blacks that came to this country after slavery ended, yet they're all supposed to get reparations anyway. So blacks whose ancestors were never slaves should be paid reparations from whites whose ancestors never owned slaves. I mean, the whole thing is nonsense. And then you're arguing two wrongs make a right. Yes, slavery was wrong. Okay, so now theft should be done to atone for the past sins of slavery by people who weren't even alive 
when if nobody today who was alive owned a slave. In fact, I don't think anybody who's alive today ever had a conversation with somebody who owned a slave. I mean, I think all those people have already died of old age, too. I mean, slavery is so far in the past that there is no personal experience that anybody has with people who own slaves. It just doesn't exist. But the idea is, well, they're allowed to believe in it. This is a nonsensical idea. This is complete ridiculous. But hey, if people want to have a protest and they want to have signs, they want to say, we want reparations, reparations now, they got a right to do it, no matter how crazy that idea is. But, you know, nobody wants to attack that idea as being crazy. So yeah, do, you know, are these ideas that people have about fascism or uh, white supremacy? Yeah, they're crazy. Look, there are people that believe in Elvis, that believe Elvis Presley is still alive. I mean, people believe a lot of crazy things. Now, of course, they're not all offensive, right? Some of the crazy things that people believe are just funny, but some of them are offensive. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that is freedom of speech. It's there because of the offensive things. See, nobody cares. If you want to say something that makes everybody happy and doesn't offend anybody, well, you don't, I mean, you don't even need freedom to do that. I mean, nobody is going to stop you from saying things that everybody likes. It's saying things that make people mad. That's where you need freedom of speech because that's what the government, it's really all about government. It's about government suppressing speech that it doesn't like. Because if you have an oppressive government and somebody is now talking about freedom, talking about why that government is bad, the government wants to shut that person up. And the only way we make sure that the government can't shut that person up is to defend people now when they're saying things that we don't like. That is the only way to preserve freedom of speech is to preserve the freedom of speech of people who are saying things that you find offensive. And that does not mean that you are supporting the people who are saying those things. And it doesn't mean you support what they're saying. See, they are trying to say that Donald Trump supports the right supremacists. No, he does not. There's nothing in his history that would suggest that. I mean, his, his daughter is Jewish. His grandchildren are Jewish. He is not an anti-Semite. He is not a racist. But in this case, he's not a hypocrite and he's not going to cave down to political correctness. And here he is going to stand up for what he believes is correct. And I support him for that. I salute him for that. I think that what the president is doing is correct. What the media is doing is wrong. And in this case, he is right. It is fake news. It is a fake agenda. It is a false narrative that the left is trying to spin. And the media is playing right into it and helping them. And, you know, all these, you know, uh, corporate CEOs who are now dropping out of the president's, uh, you know, committee on competitiveness or industry, whatever it is, because they're afraid. They're afraid of, you know, being associated with the president. They're afraid that a customer might decide to boycott their products. That shows you how far we've gone in this country and how tenuous our grasp is on that last right that we have. I mean, I, there's no doubt in my mind that freedom of speech is going to go in the United States. I mean, we've lost all of our other freedoms. All of our other rights have been trampled on. This one is holding on by a thread. Well, you know what? That thread's going to snap. 